Bell. Joining me as always, Nathan Bartleball. Nathan, what's going on, man? Hey, man, not much. We are in the beginning of November. Halloween has since passed. Yes. And the second scary uh, holiday uh, we celebrated right after that, which was Election Day. Election week, election yeah. month, yeah, <laughs> whatever, whatever this is. Turning election, into. election, rest of the year. <laughs> what a way to end twenty twenty, right? <laughs> the, the whole rest of the year <laughs> with <ends>. the election, <laughs> right? Oh man, oh, too funny. This rate, the last chapter will end up on cops or something, right? <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> hey, <laughs> just as, have a bad feeling. As long as they play the theme music, that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's a storm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Good deal. Um, Oh, man. All right. I'm out on that. Uh, Let's go quickly to a galaxy far, far away. Yes. Yes, we uh, we teased it last week that we were going to uh, be doing this, and since then, the uh, second episode of season two of The Mandalorian dropped, uh, episode ten. Uh, in the in the sequencing of things, and so we are we're going to start back at uh, the beginning, not the beginning of season one, but the beginning of season two. Uh, there was uh, so much going on with this, um, Nathan. You and I had talked. You know how how are they going to outdo themselves? How are they going to continue this? You know, um, you and I both had kind of said there really wasn't a whole lot of expectation when season one came out and it just blew our minds. It was it was going back to everything that worked with the original Star Wars trilogy and uh, just just bringing you back to that feel. When we talk about we, we've talked a lot about nostalgia on uh, on Phantom Galaxy, on Pop Culture Ninja, on These Go to Eleven. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about that. And this just hit all the right notes of nostalgia without, um, w- w- in my opinion, without bringing up the bad things that can come with that sometimes. Um, and so it just did such a good job at, at pulling things together. And you and I, so, so that there was now a bar where there wasn't really, I mean, the bar in the other one was the newer Star Wars movies, uh, you know, but, but now when they brought out season one, we have this bar set for what the Star Wars universe can look like, what it could be. And so I remember, you know, us talking and it's kind of like, well, what are they going to do with this? You know, is, is it just going to have basically run its course and, and, you know, and season one, I feel like did not, uh, or episode one of season two did not disappoint in any way. Uh, right from the very beginning, it just, it, it started you off even before the opening, um, title, coming in and just hitting it strong and hitting it hard um, and, and really taking its time and developing, as you and I have talked about, there are pieces that come into the Star Wars universe that you get glimpses of, but they never really explore. And this just takes its time to work its way through and explore this one particular aspect of Tatooine. We're, we're back on Tatooine. And uh, it, it just, to me, it was everything I wanted it to be and, and more, even things that I didn't know I wanted, I wanted and uh, just hit it 
right there for me and started season two on such a high note. Your thoughts? Uh, and yeah, and because we're only really discussing the first two episodes today, I think we'd probably take some time and get into the plots of them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But before we do that, just to respond to what you had initially said about uh, season one, and we talked about that at length, and we talked about it a little bit again uh, when we did Rise of uh, Sky- what was the last yeah. Star- Rise of Skywalker? Yeah, was Rise of the last Skywalker. Star Wars yeah. movie's name? <laughs> I'm sorry, I really wasn't throwing shade. I was just trying to remember if that is indeed what it was called. Um, uh, but anyway, that the thing that I think we have to remember that I honestly kind of didn't as the show was coming back on because it feels everything feels like it was so long ago now, right? Right. And that uh, even though it wasn't the last one, it was only a month or two before I stopped going to the movies altogether. It was when I saw Rise of Skywalker. So in terms of like going to the theater viewing it, you know, uh, I saw maybe seven or eight movies after that, but then I didn't see, you know, um, it's theater going has been kind of scuttled for a little bit. So Rise of Skywalker, in terms of like my theatrical viewing, probably for some other people too, wasn't that long ago. And then it right. just released on Disney Plus back in the summer. So I think the thing that people might not quite remember now is that season one aired in its entirety, I'm pretty sure, or close to its entirety, maybe not. Uh, I, it came very close to airing in its entirety before Rise of Skywalker released. Yes. And yeah. if it didn't, it missed it by like an episode. It, or two it was. Yeah. We have. Yep. You're 100 percent correct. It missed it by an episode. Yep. Um, meaning that if Skywalker came up before Mandalorian ended. Yes. 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 And I thought that was the case because and that and that really created, I think, because the last episode of the Mandalorian was was like the rest of the series. It was very good and it was very strong. And the thing about the show is it was every episode a knockout. No, but every episode was engaging, even when they felt like they were rehashing, you know, some people watching it very closely to have this very structured, perfect star Wars, which there is no such thing. No right. star Wars movies are perfect. Um, and that's as someone who even watched empire strikes back up on the, uh, uh, at the, at the drive-in this summer, no star Wars movie is perfect. There are some, they're very good classics. Maybe even you want to call it a masterpiece, but nothing is perfect. Yeah. And, because of that, I think that Mandalorian had a lot of time to explore the world and the characters initially. And what you're saying about nostalgia, I like their approach to nostalgia because their approach to nostalgia is let us take you back to this world you remember and let us uh, make this world, unveil this world. And by what I mean unveil is the cinematography, the style of acting, the style of the special effects – uh, let's unveil this world in a similar, I don't mean adding filters or, or synth music to make it seem like it's Hades, but let's take you back to this world and let's do it in a similarly cinematic way that they did the first time through. And then that will be your nostalgia. Your nostalgia will be, oh, I wanted to go back to this place, not let me replicate the experience you had the first time through, or let me remind you of all the story beats from last time. Right. Now, what they did do is they brought in little little pieces of the world you knew and little characters of the world you knew and allowed you to follow the breadcrumbs to something new. For example, the thing that we're called baby Yoda, it's not, I don't, you know, it is an infant, but I don't think it's a baby Yoda. It's official name is the child, the child, that character of the child. That's a kind of great thing because they could have brought Yoda 
he would have been a, a force ghost, but they could have right. brought Yoda in. They could have brought any of those characters, but having the, the nostalgia crumb is there's a creature that's the same as Yoda. The question mark is that's not Yoda. We know very, we realize we know very, very little about him. We see right. one other of his kind in the entire series for like a half a second right. in one of the prequels. So that's the thing I appreciate about the Mandalorian is it will take these little breadcrumbs that were sitting there from the series and use that to explore instead of just rehashing something instead of having a, you know, instead of bringing the emperor back right. for no good reason whatsoever. <laughs> Although now I'm we know he's go, lurking guys. in the not background somewhere. <laughs> right, man. Well, no, because if I'm, I'm still waiting for them to pull the trigger on that idea that it's all an alternate world and everything that <laughs> happened in the last three movies doesn't mean anything. Uh, but anyway, what I'm what I'm what I'm getting at is that success of the Mandalorian happened, and then there was Rise of Skywalker. And I don't think you know it's funny because you had a lot of the backlash from the Last Jedi before you. I have talked about how we feel about that movie. I think we like it better than most people. Yeah. And then Rise of Skywalker for me was very much the opposite, where I felt like, wow, you almost gave me nothing. Like you tried to meet everybody in the middle. And it was exactly that. It was just right in the middle. And I don't hear many people talk about it. And it seems like the general feeling coming off of it is like, well, everyone's pretty much ready to dismiss that entire trilogy now. Right. (laughs) Um, In a lot of ways. And so there's this weird feeling of here's Mandalorian and then Rise of Skywalker comes out. But in no way does it sort of flatten the anticipation and the buildup that Mandalorian had everybody still as excited for it as before, maybe more so because that's basically what we have for star Wars. You know what I mean? You notice that kind of talk went cold very quickly after rise of Skywalker about uh, anything that wasn't a Disney related show, you know, right. You're hearing about suddenly this Kenobi show pops up with the idea that, that you McGregor is going to come back and play Obi-Wan Kenobi. Why is that's because everyone's, you know, star Wars has kind of died again on the big screen. I think. That yeah. would be my feeling on it between Solo and then Rise of Skywalker. Not that Solo was bad, but I didn't think Solo was that bad. I thought no, it was I kind didn't. of fine. But yeah. um, but I don't think it was the big hit they were looking for. So anyway, what's interesting coming back into The Mandalorian then for season two, season one was impressive because you realized that it was using special effects. It was using the scope of – of the technical aspects as well as you would expect in a, in a, in a blockbuster movie. I mean, there were the images in the first, even the first season of the Mandalorian were far more impressive to me than a lot of the big budget stuff that was going on in rise of Skywalker. Yes. You know what I mean? Visually speaking, I was far more impressed. That being said, there was still a level of, Oh, okay. I can see they're not necessarily, they've got a much bigger budget than say, a TV show on a network. Sure. Know? Sure. This isn't yeah. Like Agents of shield or something like that. Right. I think that's one of the things we can look forward to with the Marvel series is that when they come in, they aren't going to look like agents of shield. They're going to look like a Marvel cinematic movie. Right. Yeah. But I think what I noticed in the leap from season one to season two is that John Favreau and his group of his little stable of directors that he's bringing in and his production people to work on this thing. I do think they saw an opening to say, Hey, let's ramp this up and let's make this the star Wars cinematic world at the level of quality that if I were like, this uh, is going to fill the gap of everybody's imagination. It's not just this TV show about star Wars. This is what star Wars uh, is now. 
You know, I mean, we're not competing with anything per se. Everything else is wrapped up. uh, Clone Wars at this point is wrapped up and everything, you know. So this is kind of it. And then delivering something, I think, that took it from a a technical perspective and from a visual perspective, taking it to that level of what I think every person wanted to see when they walked into a theater to see Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yeah. At least it's what the kind of thing I wanted to see. This first episode to me is the best one they've done so far. And as you know me, I tend to be more about the character-driven episodes right. in certain things. You know? sure, and sure. I think that they provided a decent amount of what I loved about the first seasons. They took the time to establish who this Mandalorian was and then who the Mandalorians in general are. Because unless you're reading a lot of books uh, and side stories and supplemental stuff, you might not really know. Right. And even if you did know, I don't think that it was ever as fleshed out as they did it in the series. Yes. You know, they took little anecdotes here or there about who these Mandalorians are and created them as a more palpable presence and then opened up this back mythology of, oh, they had a battle with the Jedi once and that the Jedi are still, even though there was this giant war, and we'll talk about that in a minute with the right. second episode when you see the fallout now and that some things are just becoming like, uh, you know, rote. There's still this sense that the Jedi, even in the post-Empire world, are mythic Yes, in a sense. Yes. You know, they're still not quite tangible uh, the way they would have been in like the, the, the old Republic. Yes. So with all of that said, when they go into season two, I know who he is. We've seen his character arc in a sense of where he's got honor, he's a bounty hunter, and we know how he, he's, he's driven to protect the child. And we've also seen that through that, he's also become much more – uh, open and even philanthropic to the people he encounters on these individual worlds. He's yes. becoming more of the gun for hire character, a guy who's going to come in, the road warrior. He's going to come in and he's going to help you if he can. And part of that is because the thing that this child has kind of opened up in him, this desire to be a little bit more um, open to people and, and, and uh, protective. And so that you see carry over perfectly into this episode which sets up this really cool kind of Western story. Do you want to talk about the story a little bit, Nathan? Uh, from the uh, from the from, second from episode one, episode of one. season two. Yeah, the, yeah, the Marshall. Yeah, so episode one um, starts us off where he's he's looking for more Mandalorians because you know we saw at the end of season one that his mission is going to be returning uh, the child to its people. And again, I'm I'm excited for that, as you said, Nathan, because we've, you know, for years, everybody has talked about well, what's the species, where does it come from, and all, all these things, but we've never we've never really seen anything more of it. And, and I just want to say I'm fascinated with this because we knew that Yoda was a Jedi. You know, we knew that he had he had conquered and mastered the dark side. He was, you know, part of the Jedi Order. Um, you know, one with the light side of the Force. We don't know where this child is going to go because the person that he's attached to is, you know, doing some shady things <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, the the way he's just going around and, you know, it, and, and it's in the name of, you know, uh, neutrality. It's not necessarily in the name of good. I mean, this is a bounty hunter after all. And so, you know, the things that uh, the Mandalorian. Although it seems to be shifting that way. He, he yeah. seems to be making the decisions to help the oppressed he's making the decision he makes many decisions and more so in the in the few episodes we're going to be reviewing i think he does makes more decisions that clearly put the 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 
the, the good of people. Yes. Of, of, yes. The good of people over his own uh, survival or the easy, the easy way to resolve something. Yeah. And um, the, the other thing is that the, when you talk about the identification of the people, basically the, the, the other Mandalorians had said, well, you know, is Pete, we don't know who his people are. So they basically say his people are the Jedi. Right, because he has because that the little character can use the force. They basically come to the realization that well, you can't. You might not be able to go find this particular species, but if you find the Jedi, Jedi yes, they can. That that's his people. Yeah, they'll be able to help him. Yep, absolutely. Um, so it'll it'll be interesting to see where they go with it. But but he is on the the quest to not <clears throat> to find more Mandalorians because he believes that they are going to be the key. To helping him return him to his people. And so that's where we start off. He's in, um, I don't even think it identifies the, the planet or area he's on, uh, when he, when we first start season, uh, season two, episode one, we just, we see him walking down these dark alleys and, and as he's walking, we just see these, these red eyes glowing in the dark. He's walking in the light, um, you know, the, these lights that are hanging over at night. And uh, the child is, of course, in his little pod right behind him. And we just see these these red lights that are going on. And he gets to this kind of seedy underground fight area. Um, and, you know, he's he's inquiring for information. You know, where are the under, other Mandalorians? And he finds out, um, oh, you need to go back on Tatooine. That's the reports that have been had back on Tatooine. And so, you know, that again, that is the opening of the the, the story. And I, I don't want to give too much away about it because I feel like it is – it just does such a great job at showing um, who the Mandalorian is, his his prowess in, um, in, in what he does. And so um, – you know, it, well, for it those... reminds you a little of the of his darkness too. Yes, there there are yeah. moments where they want to remind you that this isn't a a, a cozy, right, uh, cuddly guy. They do it in both episodes actually, and in this one, yes, I think they do it the best. Um, in this yeah, in this one scene, yeah, yeah. And you're right; I don't want to spoil anything about that, but it does sort of it, it it feels very similar to sort of things that you saw in the Firefly TV series. Yes, where you would get this feeling of. Well, you know, Mal has for most of this episode been a very like, you know, look out for little man, Robin Hood kind of right. uh, magnanimous guy. And then they'll have a moment where he'll do something like kick a guy into a <laughs> to an engine or something yes. with the idea that this is what's going to be in my best interest ultimately, because even you know, it's very pragmatic, although it's merciless. Right. And um, and I'm not sure if uh, there was much pragmatism in what we saw the other night, but right. uh, it certainly <laughs> was um, uh, the, the, the merciless aspect of him is sort of uh, illustrated there uh yeah. the other thing they I, I in that scene the character uh koresh who's like a cyclopean kind of creature that is voiced by and i didn't know it at the beginning that's um uh john leguizamo yes you are right yeah yep. doing that little character so it was kind of cool because leguizamo is always kind of uh most people may see him in a movie and find him kind of irritating but like when he gets a chance he likes to be that person who disappears into a character and he particularly under the makeup and all that kind of stuff i remember him playing this 
clown, like a four foot clown in the movie. Spawn. Spawn yes. Who is that? Yes. <laughs> so he has a way of disappearing into that. So I thought that was kind of cool. And then you did see the Gamorians, the, yes. the guards from they, they're not guards here, but they are in a, like an arena battling. Yep. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And I don't know if that was the, you know, cause at first I wasn't sure where we are and you do, do see Gamorians on Tatooine, but obviously it doesn't seem like Mando is on Tatooine at that. Correct. That point. At that point. Yep. So I did think that was kind of fun and interesting. Yeah. And, and so, you know, he gets, he gets the information he needs and, and obviously, you know, um, it's, it's Tatooine. I mean, the, the thing that I love is that they're not, um, they're not concerned with how many places can we visit in one episode? It's, it's for the most part, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this place to give a little bit of information. And then the rest of the time is going to be on this planet or in this area that we need to be in order to flesh out this particular story. And so this story takes place on Tatooine. We see um, a familiar face uh, in uh, Mos Eisley. And, you know, we, we also begin to see that um, because of his experiences in uh, season one, he has uh, he has a different approach to some of the characters, and so after his experience with IG eighty eight, we see that you know what he's not as uh, averse to droids as he once was, um, and so we see you know some of these these developments in his personality in his character that um, that are showing the growth. You know, and we don't know why he he hated droids. You know, that was kind of the whole running theme of the first season. We never we never got the reason why that they were responsible for killing his parents. Was it wasn't? I mean, I, it, it seemed to remember that there were droids there. Yeah, the droidicas. Yeah, that scene. Yeah. Yep. And so, yeah. So, I mean, that. But it's never explicitly stated. You know that no, that this no, was no. the it's reason. Not like someone who said yeah. this is. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, but his, his attitude has, has changed. It's softened toward that. And so, you know, you see that come into play and he gets his information and we're, we're taken to a different area of Tatooine. I, I mean, it's, it's all a desert planet. So, you know, I mean, one part of the desert looks like the other, but it, but it is a different settlement. We're taken to this mining settlement called Mos po- Pogos, Pagos, Mos uh, Pelgo, Pelgo. And we're introduced to the marshal. Um, and so, Nathan, I'm going to go go ahead and let you uh, take over from here and talk a little bit about the marshal because you have seen a uh, a great show called Justified that I have not seen. Yes. And so I know that there are a lot of comparisons and things like that that you're going to want to make with this character and actor. So go ahead. Well, and, and you're right. Like most Pelgo, when they introduce it, they're, they're just naming different places. And we've seen the only one that we've really seen that I'm really aware of on Tatooine previously was Mos Eisley, right? Yeah. Which is definitely more of like – they call it the uh, – you know, uh, like uh, a, a hive of scum and villainy. Right. So it's basically <laughs> kind of like that's the like the outpost for all of the marauders and stuff. You know, this is where, this is kind of where the – all of the bad guys, if you will, go – and it's more of a uh, den of thieves. It's that kind of thing. And in the Old West setting, you always have those sorts of towns, right? Or yes. if you want to look at the pirate thing, like in the Pirates of the Caribbean, they go to Tortuga. Tortuga, right? yeah. kind of like <laughs> this is where all of the seedy people hang. And that's the only place we saw. And that is a staple of Western 
stories of that kind, you always have this place where, Hey, if you're looking for someone to do something for you, you know, or right. even the samurai stories, you know, you got to go here and find the surly lot. And this is where they are. But so most Pelgo doesn't look different from, uh, you know, like you said, visually speaking, this is Tatooine. It is the Dune Sea. It's closer to the Dune Sea than most Eisley was. And so when they get there, uh, it is different, though, in the sense that it's the other kind of Western kind of cliche town you get. The town that, that it seems to house mostly decent people just yes. trying to survive in this wasteland. And they are down on their luck and they have no one to protect them yes. except for this one guy who's the marshal. And, of course, when he walks in, he is wearing Boba Fett's armor. Yeah. And you think for a second. <laughs> now, he doesn't look like Boba Fett because no. in a very interesting way, they bring him in and it's clear that it is a guy – it, it's standard, which you'd expect a old West, almost Gary, uh, you know, um, Cooper looking sheriff to be, except that over top of that get out, he's got the, the, the rocket pack and the armor and the, and the, uh, the, the helmet yep. and everything. And he's got it all on and you realize, okay, this is not boba fett but somebody else and then the minute he speaks the minute he spoke i knew that it was timothy oliphant and the main reason i know that it was timothy oliphant is that he was on as you just mentioned a show called justified where he played a u.s marshal or alan givens in that in that show which is an excellent show which you haven't seen it uh, and if you saw this episode and thought hey that guy's cool watch justified it's really good and also if you're not uh, if you if you aren't really into westerns or haven't watched a lot of westerns that's fine it's modern setting yeah and plays with the Western themes, but it will also, I think, give you a better appreciation for Star Wars because so much of Star Wars and certainly so much of The Mandalorian is based more off of the tradition of Westerns than it is off of the tradition of science fiction movies, you know, standard science fiction movie. If you watch samurai movies and Westerns, you're going to have a better bead. Appreciation, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess I was going with the whole gun thing with a bead. But, right. <laughs> but Sorry. So he comes in the minute he – no, I was just thinking myself. I was like, what was I doing with that? So the when he comes into the saloon and he speaks, I was like, oh, that's cool. And it's funny because over the summer, you know, we keep hearing stuff. We, we keep commenting about all the absurd Star Wars things we hear. But there was a point when somebody was talking about, oh, well, you know, they might end up replacing Pedro Pascal, who does the voice of, of Jin. I guess Jin is his, his name, the, the Mandalorian. Right. Yeah. And that they're going to, like, replace him as the voice. And I'm like, oh, well, don't do that. But in my mind, and a couple other people have kind of said this on online, you know, they thought, hey, you know, who would do this? Timothy Oliphant could do this. And apparently so did. Right. So, <laughs> so, so did Favreau. Uh, and some other people yeah. think that, hey, you know, whose voice would sound cool coming out of this helmet is – uh, it's Timothy Oliphant. And then, you know, he takes it off and he's, his hair still looks cool, even though he was wearing a helmet. His hair looks really cool. And uh, man, he just like really enlivens this episode. And I and it's obviously been built around him a little bit. Yes. But this is cool because uh, this is exactly the kind of thing I want to see. He's come to this town. You get him come in. But we don't suddenly have this big character dump in this moment. You You have a standoff, a tense moment where – the this marshal who comes in and he's talking to him and he's getting this beat of I want the armor I need the armor oh this guy by the way his name is Cobb Vance so yes Cobb Vance is the marshal and then he tells this story that I think is fascinating because it it puts an emphasis on how well they're thinking out this is the problem I had with the last Star Wars series is big things happened and it was like what 
you just erased all that without us seeing the repercussions of it. Yes. This is a show like we wiped out the new republic without even knowing what the new republic accomplished. Like right. why? So right. We wouldn't have to deal with it. This shows about dealing with it because a very interesting thing happens when he t- starts to tell uh, the Mandalorian about what happened. You see them in the in a cantina, not unlike the one in Mos Eisley, yep. and they're watching on a feed the Death the Star Death Star's destruction. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that's cool because you saw those quick fleeting moments in the when they redid it, uh, the the Return of the Jedi, where the people celebrating and pulling the Emperor down. But here's guys just watching it in a bar yeah. <laughs> happen on the show. And then what's fascinating? He was that very night. Yep. These other group, this mining group, came in with the vacuum of power already feeling it, rolled up and took us out. Yep. So for us, what was the happy moment of freedom of and celebration? The galaxy yeah. coming out under their feet. These people lost everything yep. in a matter of hours. And then he is he's wandering the desert in classic Western fashion. He's picked yep. up by the Jawas, and then he sees the helmet. And I love that idea. It's almost like like kind of an Excalibur thing, you know, yes. or that storyline where you find the mythic weapon, the thing that's going to help you restore. Uh, you can bring it back to your town. The, the samurai sword, yes. right? The weapon. He's going to come back and he gets the armor, Boba Fett's armor. And of course, this is cool because Boba Fett was, you know, the way he's portrayed in the in the films is he's kind of one of the bad guys, right? He captures Han, yep. at least to the heroes he is. And then he's defeated. And now his armor, which is just sitting in the back of this trawler, uh, becomes a tool for Cobb Vanth to use and he rolls up and it's awesome. Yes. It's not on, you know, that scene. And I don't know what you thought, but I thought very, I was like, I remembered instantly that John Favreau directed Iron Man. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that scene in and, Iron Man, when he gets the armor for the first time and he rolls up into that village. Yeah. Where that people Serbian village or whatever it was. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I felt like a direct <laughs> connection back to that, yep. particularly in how that little scene resolves. But yes, Oh man, I just thought all that was awesome. And then yes. they have that moment where is he going to shoot him? And he's standing his ground, and you don't you, you figure he's not going to shoot him, but you're right. not sure what's going to happen because technically speaking, what stops the Mandalorian from shooting him or beating him down and taking his armor? Right. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of other people in the area that are going to stop him. But then this rumbling, you see this rumbling, yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, then this thing comes through. Do you want to come pick it up from there? Yeah. So it, it was funny because, um, as soon as it happened, I was like, Oh, I wonder if they're going to do it. And, and I had already built up in my mind, um, at that point, this is what they're going to do. This is this. And then I, and then you briefly see this creature that's kind of cutting through the sand, almost like a shark. You see these spines and then there's at the uh, complete other edge of town, there's this, um, this bantha and the thing comes cutting through and just jumps up and grabs the bantha and goes under the sand and goes on. And and within a second, and I, and I told joy, I was like, as it's cutting through town, I'm like, this is what it is. This is what it is. And Timothy Oliphant just um, in that moment, he's like, yeah, crate dragons are, uh, you know, rough. And I was so excited because the only other place that I had seen one was in video games. They had, you know, you, you got a reference to it in um, A New Hope. Hope. When uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 are roaming through the desert and you see this huge skeleton uh, in the background, in the distance. 
and and now we're actually going to see one and uh, basically a bargain struck. You know, you help us take care of this and I'll give you the armor. And so from from the rest of the episode, it is how are we going to take care of this? And, you know, we got to see a little glimpse of of some of the things of Tatooine. So the last time he was on Tatooine, we got to see him briefly interact with the, the sand people. Uh, and now we get a lot more interaction going on with them uh, because in, it turns out they they've studied this creature. They understand uh, it's feeding habits and cycles. And so basically like uh, almost like appeasing a God, you know, once every few months, they're going to feed it a Bantha and, and it'll be good for a while. Um, and of course, you know, that doesn't uh, quite play out like they think it will. And so we find that this mining village and these sand people are going to have to join forces in order to take this thing down. And, and the, uh, the interesting thing is, again, if you know anything about Star Wars, um, there are tensions between people and the sand people, you know, between the humans that are there and the sand people. And so, you know, they've got to go through this whole thing of, hey, this is a common enemy, so we got to put down our differences. They're willing to make peace. Let's go after this thing. And so they start coming up with a plan on how they're going to take care of this crate dragon. And, man, it is it is just wild from from one end to the other of this episode how they're doing this the plans that they're setting up and and putting into place and in motion um is just fantastic you know like the the little things about you know how how they're going to take this down you know at one point they're kind of planning it out and they've got this little skeleton of the Krite dragon and then you know these these little tiny stones and things like that and it's like <laughs> I love that scene. yeah it's just like um what you know that's not to scale and you know he's like no that's to scale <laughs> and then you know and then they throw out a few more people and it's like it's like well where are they getting the reinforcements and it's like uh from your people you know it, it, everything just pulls together and comes together in such a way that you're like from the beginning to end, you're just seeing all these pieces build, and it's an episode that you don't want to end. I mean, part of that is uh, with Timothy Oliphant's character. When he's saying goodbye to him, uh, you know, you're like, no, I don't, I don't want this to end. I want to see more of this. I want to see them partner up. And, you know, I want to see him join. You're already right here. writing your email yeah. to Disney to say we need space justified, man. Yes. That's what this is. This is an opening <laughs> to do space justified because now you got Cobb Vanting, you know. Yes. Go for, go for it. You know you want to do it. Just pull the trigger. Just do it. There, just there do we it. go yes. again. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, yeah. Just go for it. Um, but everything just, just so works in this. Everything you wanted to see about the Kite Dragon, uh, Kite Dragon is there. Um, it, it's not like it just keeps him in the shadows. I, I mean, like you said, Nathan, the level of special effects that they're bringing to the table on this is, is that of a big budget movie in some cases. And so bringing out this kite dragon, you, you do begin to see it. It's an entirety. They do get up close and battle it. Um, and it's so much fun. This episode is just so much fun. And, 
And the things that they're doing with the child throughout all of these things is fantastic because it's not like the child is getting um, what I would consider huge screen time in this particular episode. It's not just him in the they're Mandalorian using them for cute little cutaways, but that's yeah, fine. But but that's but but it works. You know, again, you realize like the, this thing isn't going to do a whole lot in this episode. Because well, we of don't the need level. to have moments where he keeps meaningfully looking at it. We know right. we've seen the change in him, and I like appreciate that. That not every episode is him coming to terms with him guarding his child. Right. He's made a decision to do it. That's in his character, so we're not going to see that again. I mean, yes. we're going to see his care for it, but we're not going. Those are going to be small little moments that enrich it, not rehash it. Yes, and 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 it just it works so perfectly in this episode, and. Um, you know, so again, those, those moments, you know, remind you, uh, what the ultimate goal is, what he's doing. And, uh, it just brings everything, uh, everything together, you know, um, satisfactory ending to this, even, even the little part, little spoiler here. Um, so, you know, go ahead and cut away for all of, you know, uh, a minute or so. Well, before we do the cutaway, although all we right. think we've already spoiled it, and I mean most people probably already, but I just wanted to make a couple quick comments about that yeah, last yeah. segment you talked about yeah. um, with the crate Dragon. So, yeah, like you said, the crate Dragon, the first time we ever – it's interesting to think that the first quote-unquote sign of actual alien, alien life in yeah. Star Wars ever – was that skeleton in the sand. Yes. We've seen the droids, we see Vader, and we see the Empire, and all of that, that opening where Princess Leia is running. But the very first time, mm-hmm. I'm pretty certain, I, I think that's before yeah, the Jawas, Yeah, even before right? the Jawas, yeah, yeah. He's wandering the same. And so it's this thing that sets this mood without having to have a giant special effect, this mood of, this is an, and I remember as a kid seeing that, and I was big into dinosaurs and stuff as a kid, and seeing that thing and being like, what is that? And then always having that question mark in my mind, what does that look like with skin? You know, like that thing is gigantic. And then to see it, and then of course, you know, we have Tremors and we have Dune and things like that. And so it was awesome to see this thing evoke all of that and still be awesome. And then sadly being that we're not getting Dune this year, I thought, man, this was a great sort of, because they went for it. The special effects in this movie are astoundingly good they're as good as i would want if the if the worms in dune looked not like this identically but were of this level of quality i'd be perfectly happy with it yes you know? yes this creature is far more impressive than an underground sand snake they found i know i'm doing it again in rise of skywalker you know is <laughs> more impressive than any of the creatures that appeared in that movie or any of the last three movies yes yes no uh, i agree 100%. or the prequels for that yeah. matter yeah absolutely this, this was the best Star Wars thing I have seen since the original series, in my opinion. Yes. And then taking the time to take the Sand People and finish that correlation, that Western correlation to sort of what the the tensions between Native Americans at the yeah. time and certain Native American tribes and certain uh, Western outposts of people uh, looked like. You know, this is the most screen time the Sand People have ever had. Yes. This is the most development the Sand People have ever had. Is it perfectly original? No, it's not original at all. But that's kind of why Star Wars always worked. It took mythic plot lines you recognized and it made them intrinsically, texturally real for a small period of time. Yes. For 45 minutes or two hours or whatever. And so that's what impressed me about it. And I loved it. Like you said, everything about it, the, the kind of – and I like that they keep bringing characters back because it – 
We want to see more Carl Weathers, right? We want to see yes. more Gina Carano. We want to see more Timothy Oliphant. Now, we got Amy Sedaris comes back at the beginning and ends of this episode. Yes. and uh, Or, yes, really the beginning of this episode uh, yep. and the uh, beginning of the next episode. And seeing her again. And the little things, too, like, oh, you like droids now, you know, which is a sort of reference that he has softened a little bit since his experiences with the T, uh, the, the uh, uh, 11 or whatever. IG-88, uh, yeah. IG-11 I, uh, or, yeah, what, what some numbers. It's a, it a series of letters and numbers, IG. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, whatever that, that, uh, that kind of bounty hunter bot was. But anyway, yeah, it was great. And then, of course, you can go ahead now with your. Yeah. And so and so the. You know, like the climax of this. I mean, first of all, the way they actually end up taking this thing down um, is 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 awesome. I mean, and I saw it coming a mile away. You know, you knew that the initial plan they had set up wasn't really going to work. And so you knew they were going to jump to an alternative plan. It's just it, it's it's clear as you're watching this whole thing unfold. But it, it's it is just so satisfactory to see it happen. And to see how it's done. And there is nothing disappointing about it. I, I won't spoil that aspect of it. But once the thing is finally taken down, uh, you get this this little um, this little nugget for, for Star Wars fans who who know kind of the the Krite Dragon lore and and myth and things like that. And so um, and again, here's a spoiler, so you can go ahead and, you know, fast forward, you know, a minute or so, uh, maybe less than a minute, maybe like 30 seconds. Um, but they they hold up this gigantic pearl that's in the middle of this thing. And that was always the thing with Cry Dragons was they produced Maybe you explain that to me because huge- I saw that and I instantly said to Jen – that must be a Star Wars thing I don't know. Yeah. Because it clearly is important, but this must be some of the mythology. So yeah. go ahead and tell and me. So yeah, the Krite Dragons, um, because they travel through the dirt and they're processing, you know, and, and there's this huge amounts of pressure inside of the thing because of how they have to digest not just their, you know, their food. They're they're basically sand clams is what it boils down to. And so they produce these huge, gigantic pearls that are worth tons of money because, again, who's ever going to take down a a Krite dragon? And so, you know, the Jawas sit there, or not the Jawas, the sand people, you know, find this thing because they know the lore of of the Krite dragon and just hold it up. And they're all, you know, hooping and hollering. And it was just... It's a small thing that they could have left out if they wanted to. I I don't know that many people would have even thought about it. Even people who knew, I don't think they would have thought anything of it because they're, you know, picking through this thing. But to reference it is just, again, it's bringing all of these pieces together for people who are aware of the greater Star Wars universe and just saying, we're acknowledging that this is a thing. And it is. It's just bringing that satisfaction to they're not leaving any stone unturned. And I, I love that, that we're going we're gonna to pick through the details. And even if it's just a brief glance at it, we're going to give it to you. Um, and so that's what I appreciate. So much thought going into these episodes. And, um, you know, we're going to, in a few minutes here, jump into episode two and start discussing that. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be quicker. But one of the things that, um, you know, we're going to talk about, was it as strong as uh, this one? No, 
But I think it's leading to something greater. I would consider episode two a two-parter. And so while it's not as strong, I'm waiting to see what episode three is going to bring to kind of bring a closure to the episode two arc, which, which will, uh, you know, I think complete the whole thing. Um, but yeah, episode one, just going, man, just hit all the right notes. It was the longest episode that we've seen, um, so far, even of season one, it was 55 minutes. I think the longest one we've had so far is 49 minutes. And that was the, the season finale. And so they they really took their time. One of the things that I love is that they're not bound by time. They're not giving you straight 45 minutes. They're not giving you straight 50 minutes. It's like, hey, you know what? We can tell our story in 30 in 35 minutes. We're going to do it. We can tell our story in 39 minutes. We're going to do it. And I love that because they're not making themselves bound by, you know, this network specific time frame of getting in and out of the story. Um, and so, you know, episode one comes in strong. It brings all of the pieces together. Everyone that I've talked to so far that's seen it was just like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be amazing. And 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 I agree. I, I have no doubts that with where they started episode one of season two, that it is going to get better and better and better. And we're going to see more of these types of things come into play. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was kind of my, you know, big hurrah on, um, on episode one, uh, Nathan, final, final comments and thoughts on episode one. Uh, no, other than that one scene that we kind of didn't mention, I don't think, um, that we said we were going to, you know, so I guess we can now, um, involving, uh, spoilers here, the, uh, the last shot of the episode. Where we oh, see a yes. figure on the horizon. You're right. How could and, I? Yeah. How could I forget that? <laughs> yeah. Well, we. I think because you were getting ready to do it, and then I preempted you, and then we we forgot about it. But um, in this episode, it's filled with so much stuff. I've watched it like three times now. Yeah. Um, once, and I had to watch it with the family, and then we wanted that they wanted to watch it again um, because it was just so much fun. I think oh, that's yeah. the thing. It's like getting a Star Wars does actually have rewatchability when it's done right, and so the uh, the last scene is this figure who's watching uh, the Mandalorian leave and, and them depart after this battle with the crate dragon. And then he turns around and we get, and honestly speaking, if I'm being perfectly honest, like I knew, but I think that like, unless you were watching it, maybe on like a giant screen or something. It's right. like, I didn't, it wasn't to me, it was like, it's Tamara Morrison, who is the actor who played Django Fett in uh, attack, attack of, of the, the clones. clones. Yes. And then, um, Django, of course, all the clones look like Tamir Morrison. It sounded like Tamir Morrison. And so really, Tamir Morrison has three or four different characters out there, and the, maybe more. Right. Star Wars, who he is played. I mean, there's Commander Cody and all these characters from the Clone Wars. Because, again, all the clones look like Tamir Morrison. And right. he took one clone. The Kaminoans who built the army gave him one clone that was going to age, I believe, at a basically a normal rate, right? Yes. Like that clone did not have the uh advanced correct Correct. so it was growing at a normal because he was raising it as his son and that clone was boba fett and so we you were implied and of course lucas because he can't leave anything alone 
actually gives us some lines of of Boba Fett himself speaking with Tamara Morrison's voice on his seventh or eighth, you know, redo of right. the special edition. Uh, I don't have those, but I've heard that they do have Tamara Morrison saying things like "yes, right away" or something. Like they that, do, you know? yeah, yeah. So, um, so yes, Tamara Morrison is there. He turns around, and it has been confirmed that he is indeed Boba Fett. It's not one of the other clones, right? And he has survived the Sarlacc pit somehow. Uh, and there is a funny line there in the. Um, oh, who yes. knows? Maybe he blasted his way out of the crate dragon after the crate dragon ate the Sarlacc because right. he says, "Well." Sarlacc picks, pits don't get uh, abandoned. He's right. like, well, no, not if they, unless they're eaten. <laughs> right. So this idea that I, I never really thought about that. The Sarlacc is still a creature, right? It lives in the sand. Yep. And the idea that this worm, which is, and they call this the Dune Sea. So it is, you get this picture that it is sort of like some kind of wild, like, aquatic universe that lives in the sand and so this worm just comes along and eats eats a sarlacc pit from time to time i also wasn't aware there was more than one sarlacc but apparently there are like you know it is yeah species i thought that was a particular one because they kept you know the way they had almost deified him in the return of the jedi right so i think that's interesting he has clearly survived he doesn't have his armor so he either lost it or discarded it Yes. Which is interesting, which means that he would not be living according to a Mandalorian code any longer. Yes. So I think it's very fascinating to figure out what he's doing and who he is now. So there's a lot of stuff that's suggested and implied with just that one scene. And of course, this week in classic Disney fashion, they point out, oh, yeah, we're going to start shooting this next week. It's a TV series the, based around yeah. Boba Fett. Yeah. And that one, um, you know, I, I'd be excited for as well because you, again, you don't need to. Uh, Boba Fett is obviously um, what's interesting is that this doesn't take place that much longer after Return of the Jedi. We're not talking about, you know, between the events of um, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, like 20 years. I mean, we're talking about a span of, you know, just a few years at the most here, you know, just enough time for the Empire to kind of be pushed down and suppressed. The New Republic is coming up into its own. They're still trying to you know, get in there and, you know, uh, keep peace and all of that stuff. And so, um, you know, it was, uh, I, I really, I, I enjoyed, uh, seeing that. And, and for those who maybe still don't know, uh, most recently he was, he played the father of Aquaman in Aquaman. Um, and so, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, if you're familiar, you know, this is kind of the guy. He's in a the very face. good actor. He's been in a ton of different movies. Yes. Um, very good. Yes. I first saw him in a movie called Once Were Warriors, a New Zealand film back in the nineties. He's he's a good actor. Yes. And, and 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 again, he's just he's got a great voice as well. You know, to me, voice actors are some of the most underappreciated people um in in their profession and the things that they're able to do um is, is just phenomenal. And he's just it, to me, if they were to go ahead and say, Okay, we're gonna get you know, an actor to play a younger Boba Fett and, and just have them in the helmet and in the costume the whole time and just have him doing the voice work. I would be totally cool with that. I mean, just being able to listen to him, uh, come in and do his thing would be, would be amazing. So if that's the direction that they're going to go, I, you know, sign me up. I'm all for, uh, watching it. Um, well, and I just want to throw a quick question out there about that because, I think that's, you know, when we first think about that, that's like, oh, that's great. But we've got that show now about a bounty hunter that goes through 
space and right. all the different aspects called the Mandalorian. Right. And we are going to have very soon, I believe, I believe it's still in the works. We're going to have the Obi-Wan show that will be about a desert nomad living right. out the Dune Sea in the wake of eggs. Right. So what's interesting about this is, no, they haven't clarified where this Boba Fett show is going to take place. And it almost wouldn't make a lot of sense to make another bounty hunter show. So I think, I mean, I think it would be very cool if this really is about who he is now after this. And because of the kind of person he is, he's not going to probably stay in Tatooine on the Dune Sea. So I'm thinking this show won't be about a bounty hunter uh, in the in the sense that the Mandalorian is right. uh, going and be doing his bounty hunting, and I don't think it's going to be a show about a guy trying to gain redemption Survive out in the in middle the of the desert yeah. somewhere. Yeah. So I think they're going to find it. That's the that's the exciting thing to me. I think we'll get a Boba Fett that we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a guy that we know going on a path that will be a different show than the other two. I can yeah. see this being more like the hardened criminal guy going back out to reestablish himself or something like that, or you know, yeah, uh, a, a different kind of a story uh one that's a little bit more about someone past their sell-by date kind of trying to make it right know. right <laughs> nice i don't nice. know i i'm completely throwing sure, it out there but i sure. wonder if that's why they ha- didn't disband him from his armor and why they have such a great actor because that's the thing about tamara morris and what a waste in a sense that you get this great actor and then you kind of lock him away uh behind all the you know he's not in it that much in the in the prequels so i think that and he's got still the dialogue in the prequels so this is a great opportunity you got a guy who can really play that hardest hack sort of character and something i'm excited about that is i i'm thinking that like you said earlier i think the boba fett show might end up being like we said with mandalorian he's giving us things we didn't even know that we wanted to see yes yeah and and again you know if if disney um I believe if Disney allows, you know, these creative directors and writers to do their thing and and they don't try to insert what they think it should be, I think we're going to get some really great stuff. I think so far Favreau has been um, has been let to do his thing and and it's been fantastic because he is a really good director. He's a really good actor, too. I mean, he's got the whole package. And so. Being able for him to just say, hey, let me let me do my thing. You don't need to worry about it. I'm just going to make you loads of money. And them just letting him go off and do his thing I think has worked and I think it will continue to work if they just let um, – you know, they just let these people kind of do what they do best. One of the things that we were talking about um, when but it was either during or right before – I forget who I was with – is, you know, they had – they had five different directors um, working on this, but it all came together under one story because Favreau, like like Kevin Feige with the Marvel Universe, was overseeing everything. And so you saw things pulling together. Now, I will say that um, everything was really uh, purpose-driven toward you know this Infinity Stone thing, and it took us, what, 21 movies to get there, where I think Favreau is – you know, letting us see individual stories within uh, this universe that, that yes, we have this overarching goal of the child has to get back to his people, but we have these independent episodes that, that take us because he is, he is a wanderer at this point. He is a no, he, he doesn't have a place that he's tied to. And so he doesn't have to keep coming back to it. And so in, in episode two, we get a little bit of a glimpse of that where 
He comes back in after – well, actually, let's start off with the opening of this because <laughs> to me, this was one of the the greatest um, things. And I, I don't know that it was actually necessary for anything, but I just – I loved seeing the opening of this episode um, because he is traveling back on his speeder bike and he gets he gets waylaid by bandits. He gets waylaid by bandits as if he were the roadrunner and they were Wiley Coyote. They were – it was so weird because we're watching him swing along and they show them like banging on stuff. And I looked at Jen and I'm like, is this kind of like going to be like the roadrunner? And then and they literally pull a string across two rocks. Yes, but I loved it. I mean like <laughs> – I mean, I did too. I, I was having almost like a a, a, a Briscoe County Junior sort of yes. like. Although in that one, they literally painted a they they did the trick where they painted the cave on a on a wall or something in that one. But I mean, yeah, I was getting it, and and I think that's something to mention very quickly before we before you continue with it is John Favreau directed that Marshall episode. The yes, the first one. So yep. it was very cinematic. It was very robust. It felt like a blockbuster. This yep. is directed by Peyton Reed, who did the Ant Man movies and that should also give you a good inclination for like where he kind of goes with it because it has a much more um, almost mischievous kind of sense of goofy fun to it yes. it's not silly in and of itself in fact it gets creepy in places yes. but it has a there's a different tone there there's a lot more sneaky little jokes going on yes <laughs> and and so just that opening scene i mean you know the again like you know the the rope comes up he's you know his his speeder bike is totally uh destroyed and and the way that whole thing plays out is just it is it's it's almost comedic and there's this one thing that happens where you know the mandalorian um is gonna let one of them go. Like he's he's defeated all. He's gonna let one of them go. Did that thing look like it was and, a Jabba the Jawa that forgot its rope? Yes, yes, it did. <laughs> is that what they look like on holiday? I, I know, sure. right? <laughs> he couldn't make it as a Jawa, so he had to become a bandit. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but like just the comedic interplay where like the thing dies. And the the child looks up at him, and he just looks down at the child and just kind of shrugs and walks away. Was I just I could not stop laughing. It was just you're right. It was it was Wiley e. Coyote and the Roadrunner, and I'm like, well, I think we oh. have to. I mean, I'm not worried about spoilers. We got to talk about how it dies, okay? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'll let you go ahead so I can compose myself. <laughs> okay, like so. And you're right. It has. It's definitely that kind of goofy because you're almost like blazing saddles territory. Because and you know he's gonna like do something to it because it, it's a one moment. It's doing a couple things just like it did in the last episode. It's establishing again his care for the child. It's holding the child kind of like it's gonna hurt it, and he's gonna trade it for his backpack, which his backpack, his rocket pack, right? Yep. Which you know it's not just a rocket pack. It's part of his armor. It's part of his identity, uh, and he's also gonna be kind of you know we just saw him use it in a very. Um, effective way to deal with the crate dragon in the previous episode so yes. we know that this isn't some simple thing he's bartering with and we see him give it to them and so reed allows you to have that moment where look he's willing to trade his back his rocket pack for the child which he does but then we also <laughs> real we see this little thing put it on and it's running and he just hits a button <laughs> which sends it skyrocketing <laughs> into the sky and then you just see this body come plummeting to the ground <laughs> with a thump and then the rocket pack slowly flies back and just lands with a good unk 
on the ground. I mean, every single element of it is just perfect uh, timing. You, you have an interesting point, though, that technically speaking, we don't need this scene at all because uh, what happens is his speeder bike gets broken and then we watch him walk all of his stuff and the child on his shoulders back to town. Yeah. Um, but it's effective because it's, again, it's just a reinforcing of this is the Mandalorian. This is what he's going to do. This is, the, you know, everything there are slightly character things that you'll remember. You're, you're never going to forget no. that little scene, <laughs> no. but it doesn't technically need to be there. And I think that's what happened to Star Wars. It got to a point. Well, Lucas, for all his goofiness, was a guy that would let, maybe sometimes to his detriment, he'd let a scene play out just to let it play out. Right. And so you'd have a goofy scene of, of, you know, some guy in a diner that we didn't need. But this is handled better, I think. But right. it's something that in the last few movies I felt like, oh, we're just this thing and this thing. And we're going here and we're going there and we're going everywhere. This opening is a good example of things that we do. We don't need to see him walk that stuff all the way back. But it just reinforces his character, who yes. he is, uh, and his tenacity and what he's going to go through and things like that. Yeah. No, and I, and I agree 100%. And it's not the, – the beautiful thing about this is it's not – first of all, it's not out of character for him to do any of the things that go on. And it's not out of character for for Star Wars. You know, we talk about uh, – if we're going to go, you know, into Clone Wars, you know, you've got this diner scene with Obi-Wan and then you've got, you know, the whole death stick scene with Obi-Wan. And you're kind of just like, okay, we don't need this. And it just seems so out of character for the universe that I'm in and for the people that are in, you know, that, that are in this universe where this isn't. This is just something it's, it's like, just a little while. Yeah, yeah, they were a little too modern, but I still appreciate it in the sense that they were there. Like, yeah, here's Obi-Wan talking to this fry cook guy. Like, you right. know, in in theory, I appreciated these small sort of uh, moments that you could just sort of take a take a breather. Um, the other thing you had mentioned early on was like the idea that like what is babe? We've seen Yoda. And we saw what he was a result of. We don't. We don't know what his upbringing is per se. But this one's getting a much different education. Yes. <laughs> and I think like your reference to that is like you know you have these the, the series that was popular in Japan of Lone Wolf and Cub with a samurai, yes. basic a hardened samurai. Um, you know, Toshiro Mifune kind of uh, play embodied these characters as well, and. You, the lone samurai with the young child that he's raising, which of course is going to come up in some sense in a shadow of him and an image of mirror image of him. And at the same time, the child is, is changing who he is. And that's kind of see here, but you see some things in this episode that make you wonder what kind of, how this education is playing off with the child, including that scene where it almost like seems amused when that thing hits the dirt. Right. <laughs> And again, just like the perfect timing of him looking up and him looking at it and just kind of, you know, the the shrug, like, yeah. whatever. <laughs> just, it, it is, it, it just plays perfect. And, and, and again, it does, it, it kind of, you know, you wonder, okay, what, what is, what is going to be taken away from this, from this uh, child, you know, these experiences and all that. And so, um, you know, he gets back into to Tatooine, and again, we, the story's not in a rush to to move us from one destination to another. And I like that. You know, he's got to figure out, okay, I need to get to this to this next area. So I'm still looking for Mandalorians. Uh, this turned out not to be, um, you know, what I what I was looking for. 
So what's the next thing? And <laughs> again, you're, you're presented with this situation of, okay, I've got a solid lead for you. The person who's got the lead needs passage. And he eventually agrees. And, you know, we find out that <laughs> it's, it's basically a giant frog <laughs> that needs to get to uh, this planet where her husband is. So like the eggs can be fertilized by the frog. And you're looking at this, like, what am I watching? But at the same time, you're remembering, wait a minute, I'm in the star Wars universe here. I mean, this is oh, yeah, totally... she walks out with like a backpack on yeah. and everything. And then it's a backpack full of eggs. But there was a movie in the eighties called hell comes to frog town <laughs> where Roddy Piper was in a post-apocalyptic world fighting giant frogs. And they looked kind of like this thing. Um, <laughs> But there's a precedent for this because The Last Jedi, there's, there were fishy frog people on that planet that – or that island that um, that Luke ended up on. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're, you're definitely getting – again, you're getting callbacks to everything that we're, we've seen and experienced. You're, you're getting new things that are coming into this universe. You know, the one thing that you and I, Nathan, have said every time we discuss – Star Wars is new creatures, new worlds, new creatures, new worlds. And we're getting that. We're getting these new creatures. We're getting these new worlds that we haven't seen before. Even, even in the sense that, that, you know, we're, we're being taken um, and the Mandalorian is, is forced to crash land on an ice planet. It's very clearly not Hoth. Before we talk about that, and yeah. you're right, we got to kind of speed this along. But I, can we just talk a little bit about the X-wing cops? Oh yeah, <laughs> like pull him over, yeah, I, for not so having proper registration. Another, <laughs> for not having proper res- re- registration. But you know what? This was another thing. So when the when the Mandalorian first started, and he's when he is hired to go find. The, the little creature, the child, yeah. uh, he's hired by Werner Herzog, who yeah. is working with a group of sort of, uh, I guess what you would call them, like empire sympathizers, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it, it was a moment when you get this picture of this is what it looks like after the empire has fallen. We just mentioned that last episode of the uh, Marshall where we have the moment where the guys come in for the power grab after the empire has fallen. And there's another cool little moment here. And they reference, oh, yeah, you know, you uh, – you're, you're wanted for kidnapping and things right. like this. And so as a reminder, he is running from the law. But then there's this also aspect of this is what these guys do now, right? So yes. in the absence, this is before maybe the Republic is fully like Reformed, righted itself. Yeah. As you pointed out, it's yeah. not quite well, – not the Empire, the Republic. The and, Republic, yep. You know, it's not quite pulled together and it's not that long after Return of the Giants. So these guys are out there just kind of like bigger than their britches at this point because they aren't um, – They've won, right? And yeah. they aren't—they're not, you know—they're not rebels anymore. They're right. now kind of like the new force of the galaxy to the point when he's like, he almost feels compelled to say, "May the force be with you." It's right. become like a political tagline, <laughs> like it's a thing now that you just got to throw out to your new—you know—the guys that are in charge now. May the force be with you. Yes. You know, it's like the—it's like God bless America. Right, right. 
And like, I thought that moment and they're candid kind of like, they don't quite know what they're doing. Like they don't yes. quite know what the protocol is to do with things. They're like, you feel that they've got notes in front of them. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Make sure they know what they're doing. And it was just a, a, a neat reminder too of, oh, this world is still figuring itself out. And yes. I, I really liked that scene because of it, but it was done very humorously. Yep. And, uh, and Dave Filoni, who, yep. who directed a few episodes of the Mandalorian, has written yep. a few episodes and also uh, worked, on the Clone Wars, Clone Wars and, yes. uh, and of course, Airbender, yes. uh, uh, the last Airbender, that he is one of the two pilots. I think he's the guy yes. on the right. And he actually, uh, so, he yeah. was also in um, in the episode where, uh, the Prison Break episode in season yes, one, he was yes. an X-Wing I pilot think, as well. I think he was the same X-Wing yes. pilot, actually. Yes, so. because we're, gonna, we're actually going to learn um, something about it at the end of this episode that, that hints at that. Do you know who the other one was? So I looked him up. He's an Asian actor. He's been in a lot of stuff, but he looked very familiar. And like he almost I, – I wanted to look him up because I'm like, I, was he a pilot previously in one of the old Star Wars movies? But yeah, and that's he... – Go ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to – I was just going to agree with you. So yeah, go ahead. Uh, Paul Sun-Hung Lee is the actor, and he's been in a lot of movies, but I don't know that you would recognize most of them. Like I don't. Um there is a lot of TV series. He was in Warehouse 13, but he plays he's like he seems to have like I'm looking at his IMDb. He's like manager, warehouse manager, bank manager. <laughs> so I Love. think he's a guy who really is like a man in elevator. You know, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of those sorts of things on his resume. But um, I've definitely recognized him a little bit. But I looked at him and I thought, was he an alien pilot in one of the old movies? You know, I had to check that to make sure that wasn't the case, but yeah. um, it's fun. It's a fun little scene. It is. Yeah. And it, and it, and it works because it begins this whole chase. Um, and again, you know, they, he's, he's got to fly. Um, he, he can't fly at hyperspace. That's one of the agreements because these eggs will are fragile and they will, um, you know, be destroyed, which uh, again, like, going back to the eggs for a second, you know, the reason why she, this is so important is because this is kind of the end of their, their family life cycle. Like if these eggs aren't fertilized, this family unit will completely die. Um, and, and the so, husband has gone ahead and yeah, planted to, a, it's an immigrant story, really. In a it sense. it like is a pioneer story. Kind of. It, it makes, it makes for, again, some dark humor, that we're going to see throughout <laughs> <Yes>. this, <laughs> but, but it works so perfectly um, throughout this because what we see is, you know, we begin traveling. Um, they can't travel at hyperspace because it, it will destroy the eggs. And so it's very important that they, su- they fly um, subspace and, you know, really get there and take their time. And so he's agreed to this whole thing because he's really pressed to find the other Mandalorians. So they're traveling and, you know, he's like, well, I'm going to get some sleep. I'm going to check on some things. And he goes down and he finds the child um, partaking in the eggs. <laughs> yeah, and, straight up just eating them. And again, this container is kind of full of these eggs. And but again, it makes for some dark humor because you're like you understand and sympathize the importance of like, OK, this woman, you know, this family's line is just going to be totally cut off and die if this doesn't happen. And you just well, there's see an odd scene too, where 
he the little the child approaches it and he sees it there and he's quizzical and you have this music in the background and you're like oh he recognizes that they're her children right and, you know maybe he feels like because we don't really know exactly what his like up until this point completely right. we get the idea he's like a kid but i see people on saying stop calling a baby yoda it's a 50 year old creature it's like but, but it has it seemingly has the mental capacity uh, of, a of like child. a child yeah right emotional and everything and so but you're wondering here is this a moment where he's going to be able to commune with them via the force or something because that you know uh but instead he just he's his curiosity is he's like those are eggs and i'm right. gonna eat them <laughs> and he does he eats several over the course of that <laughs> episode to the point that towards the end there's a scene where he like reveals one and he's kind of smuggled out right. in his pocket and eats it again <laughs> it doesn't stop eating them <laughs> so I, but it's an interesting reminder that he is a child right like he isn't just looks like a child he is a child he is a child and and again to me it just it works because even even that last scene that you're talking about i mean they've had the whole episode together and there's kind of been this, you know, relationship that's developed between all three of them and this care and all that stuff. And, and he looks back at her and the eggs and, and it almost, again, it almost seems like, you know, he's sympathizing and, you know, he can, he can understand the plight. And then, you know, he just kind of turns around and looks up front. He's sitting on the Mandalorian's lap and then he just pops it in his mouth. <laughs> so it's either that or he's becoming a horrible, horrible person. Right. <laughs> but again, I think it's, I think it's to the point of what you said, you know, he, he is a child, you know, you get, you get those hailbacks where, you know, he's touching buttons as they're flying yeah. in season one and it's like, don't touch that. And then he's kind of looking at him and he's like, as he's looking at him, he touches the button, you know, and you get those moments and, and as parents, we sympathize with those things, you know, like we, we were like, oh my goodness, I totally relate to what's going on here. He's like, how many did you eat? He's right. Like, the... <laughs> it was any moment where they could have had a moment where they established, oh, he's trying to protect them now, or that it turned out that he didn't eat. You know, nope, he just keeps he eating just them. He keeps eating them. Um, <laughs> and I guess we should wrap this up because yeah. we get towards the, the end here. But it, it, with the couple things I liked, uh, so they do end up on that ice planet, yeah. and they do end up, he's, he eats the eggs he shouldn't eat. Right. Which is, which is gross because it's like, I'm like, how many eggs is this thing going to eat? Like, <laughs> spend a lot of time on this he gets cracks open eats like a, a bug out of it and i'm like that does not look good right. uh and then you have the ice spiders which yes. i thought were very cool yes they were very well done there was a good reminder that we didn't they didn't spend their entire budget on the previous episode yep. uh, and again another really cool monster moment yes. just like with the great dragon these are some very impressive creatures do they look completely original they don't but you have um, one of the coolest spy because it's a spider army, right? Like yes. call back to like eight legged freaks or something. This is yes. like, there's little spiders, there's medium spiders, and then there's a big giant yeah. spider that is yeah that uh, comes out and attacks them, and they're eventually um, that was a little convenient, but they're eventually rescued right. by. The, the X-wing fighters yep. again, who, as you pointed out, uh, are recognizing. Oh, you helped us out back here, so we're gonna. And he's like, "Well, maybe you can help me weld my ship, and you know, we can kind of call it a day." And I can give you this. These people I have on board, and they're like, nah. Right, right. <laughs> just, He's uh, like, how about we don't you arrest fix- you and you fix your own ship? <laughs> yeah, right. And they just fly away. I was like, oh, okay. Well, fair <laughs> enough, I guess. You don't want to be seen aiding and abetting somebody, I guess. But that, I thought that that was, uh, was kind of interesting and fun. The other thing that was kind of neat was the frog lady, the way they handled her. Yes. They did keep her plausible. She does. She looks weird. She, right. looks, she is a, a, a humanoid frog. 
and uh, she's got these eggs. But uh, I did like, you know, and then when they get into the chasing, you can see her jumping like yes. a frog, which actually looks kind of cool because yes. there's this weird fluid moment of she's scrambling along and then she'll bound every like third run. And I thought that looked really neat. Like, uh, yes. I was like, what is she doing? So I thought that was cool. There's also a very cool scene where she uses her um, uh, she she sees the rope a robot not not um, not the bounty hunter bot but the the pilot from, from back the in the prison, prison break the prisoner yeah. episode yep. the prison break episode right which is there's a lot of callbacks to that that um, pilot who's Richard Iotti who did the voice he hooks in she hooks into that and uses it to speak. And I thought that was pretty cool. Again, like you say, being a callback, being able to take this element and and and, and twine it back into something. And so I thought that was a, a pretty cool like sequence because she's able then to convey to him what you know. She confronts him and says, you know, well, this is what Mandalorians do. Is there honor really just the stuff in storybooks kind of deal? Yes. And. I thought all of that stuff was really good. And then, of course, um, and, 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 you know, it's interesting, though, is this episode, it's it's shorter by about 15 minutes, I think, than yes. the previous one. Yep. And it's um, and it kind of ends in a, in a, I don't want to say a cliffhanger, but it ends in the midst of things still happening. Yes. Uh, she has not been reunited on the planet with her husband. Yeah. Uh, they, we don't know more of the eggs. Right. Uh, or what's going to happen. And his and, ship and the, is and the, still severely damaged right, busted yeah. up pretty badly yeah so he obviously or i don't know if obviously but seemingly if the story is going to continue in this very closed amount of space which it seems to be where we pick them back up where we left them then yeah he's gonna have to stop somewhere and that will probably constitute what happens in the next episode yes and that's why i'm okay like again is this one as as strong as the first one no but this is also a two-parter you know, this is why I consider this one a two-parter because well, this is not yeah. resolved yet. You know, we we still have more going on with these characters, with this situation. This was kind of a stopover in in you know the events and things that happened, and so you know I I'm okay with the fact that hey there there wasn't a ton of high pace, but it was still, it was still a fun episode to see, you know, and you and I talked about this earlier, Nathan, there, there are, uh, there is not, in my opinion, a bad episode yet. There are ones that I prefer. There are ones that I like more than others, but there has not there been There are some that are almost one. like throwaways, but I, again, yeah. like you had said, I wouldn't say they're bad. I think there's also the difference between what we consider a standalone episode, yes. which this still sort of was. As you point out, it is part of a continuing story. But there – and this maybe is less standalone than others. And then there's standalone, and then there's what happened last week, which honestly speaking, if we're being honest, felt much more like a fully formed story, almost yes. like a movie. Yes. And I think that was intentionally so. They wanted to open it up really big yes. and give you like a mini Star Wars movie. That's what last week's was. That's not what this week's is. Uh, it is a fun comic episode, you yes. know, like one of the com- a comic book where there it's kind of a detour of yes. a little bit, and you have those. And when you form those things together, that's what makes the Mandalorian strong. I'm not looking at every episode needing it to be this perfectly encompassed storyline. Yes. And this was fun. This had those star like, and when you put these together, I think people end up watching some of these things as if they're a movie, even if they're watching it week to week, you know, my children don't have much of a concept for episodic stuff except for this because everything gets dumped all at once. Right. Right. So this idea that eventually, 
surely you can watch this and it has that feel of movement of a movie. Yeah, I, I think that this um, this episode was was quite enjoyable and it had little surprises for me. It was fun. And uh, I liked it a lot. And I, I do think it continues the feel that this series is gaining its it's really gaining steam and it's finding its footing because mm-hmm. it's feeling like good, fun, pulpy star Wars. Yes. It doesn't seem uncertain about what it's doing. Yes. And, and let me just um, throw this in here as well. If you get a chance, um, check out the making of this uh, Disney plus put out an eight series, eight, eight part um, series uh about the behind the scenes of all this. And they deal with every aspect of it from the directors, the actors, the producers, the sets, the music, they just go through every aspect of this. And it's really, it's a fascinating uh, watch of the behind the scenes and then going into it. Because I can remember when I was uh, younger, getting the special features from star Wars and seeing the behind the scenes and how Lucas did things and just, Loving every minute of it in the, in the development, um, the the groundbreaking technology that I mean, Lucas has just been on the forefront of so much of what we have today in terms of technology and CGI and and all of that stuff. And and I think sometimes a lot of people forget that, regardless of what you think of you know uh, clone uh, the the uh, prequels and even you know some of the later stuff is that he's really kind of the godfather of a lot of what we see in modern day technology and and Star Wars has continued that tradition ILM has continued that tradition and so if you get a chance check out that eight part um, series on the I making don't, of I don't it. know that he would and I wouldn't want them to let him do it more than once but yeah. I I think I would I would like I would like to see them let Lucas back for you know maybe like direct an episode or something sure yeah don't, don't give him keys to the cgi editing room or anything right. like that but <laughs> don't allow him to bring jar jar back out of retirement but he's also living on tatooine somewhere in exile he should be in exile he's probably on the frog planet right right yeah but, um, we'll anyway, see him in the next episode he's probably now the king of the frog planet um or the court jester or something but anyway yeah uh and the cool part about the end of those episodes is also when you see those uh like the matte painting. Yes, the storyboards. The storyboard yes. artwork that they make. Uh, and it, they kind of slightly animated it a little bit. It's pretty cool. With it the is. music playing. Um, I really appreciate that. It reminded me of like uh, the way they would close out some of the things. Like I remember it was for some reason I was having flashbacks and I was talking to somebody just yesterday about the Ewok movies from the Yes, 80s. yes. <laughs> no. I Which like, I, I own. I, find I own them. Okay. Are they on DVD? They're on VHS. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, because like I was remembering, uh, Wolfer Brimley was in the second. Yes. One, and, yep. Um, battle but, for Endor. Yeah, we, the battle for Endor, because I found a poster of it recently, and he was on the cover. He kind of looked like like a uh, burly Santa Claus. Yeah. But, um, he kind of played I, a burly I, Santa Claus. <laughs> it, it, he it, he played a burly Santa Claus in real life, mostly um, <laughs> too. You know, it not um, But anyway, yeah, that's about what I got. I love it. I'm looking forward to more of it. Um, I'm looking forward to the Marvel shows as they come on Disney um, Disney Plus as well. The first one, um, WandaVision, doesn't that come out um, this month? This year, I believe. I think we t- is it this month? I think so. I think uh, so. Let me see cool. if I can. That would be cool. Let me see if I can uh, go ahead and talk for a minute. Because I need one more thing to watch. Out. I know, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, Wanda uh, Vision release date. Uh, December. 
So. Oh, good, good, good. Yep. So probably, probably um, just as this is going to be wrapping up, we'll get uh, the drop of Wandavision. Because what am I going to watch once this season of America ends? Right. Uh, <laughs> Oh, come on, Nathan. It's never going to end. You know that. Man, <laughs> you're right. I know it's not. That's the kind of thing that, that astounds me. So, All right. Well, we anyway. got to end on a high note. Man, this was fantastic. I loved uh, talking about this. So, Nathan, what we're going to have to do is when this season wraps up, we'll go ahead and we'll drop in – and and do an overview of uh you know all of season two so you know expect some you promise in... we'll try not to make it seven hours right right or although many episodes actually actually I, episode. I i make no promises with that i make no promises with that one <laughs> the, the real question here is because i had this uh i did a podcast that's yet to go up for fam galaxy about the 2001 space odyssey and we manage we think we i think our episode is as long as the film so I'm just curious if this episode, if you can confirm whether this episode is as long or longer than both Mandalorian episodes combined. Uh, not quite yet. So we're at an All hour. Right, well, let's, let's get out of Dodge yeah, before, it, before is. it is. All right. That sounds my good. last Western joke of the night. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys, for listening. Don't forget, rate us on iTunes, Twitter. Your favorite listening service helps us bump up a little bit. We've got some exciting things coming up over the next uh, few weeks where uh, particularly once we get into the new year, Nathan and I are going to be talking doing some restructure. We know we've been hitting the entertainment stuff a little bit harder, um, but we've got a plan for these go to 11 coming into the new year that we're really excited for you to um, be involved with us in. So until next time, Nathan, we just rock the Casbah. These go to 11.